honest, the first episode we ever tried, keyword tried, to record was failure. And guess what one of today's main topics is on? Failure! (laughs) It's a full circle moment. It really is. And right on time, because our podcast anniversary is on the 25th. Oh my gosh, yeah. Happy anniversary! (laughs) Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of To Be Honest. I'm your host Amy. And I'm Grace. Yeah, I can't believe it's been a year already. I know, it's crazy. So this is actually episode 52, so exactly one year from when our first teaser came out. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of crazy because although when we started I was like, oh my gosh, this is so amazing, I want to do this forever. It's kind of surreal coming at it like a year after we started the podcast, you know, thinking that we've been doing this for a year because it doesn't even feel like a year. Like it feels like we haven't been doing it for that long, but then at the same time, it feels like we've been doing it forever. Yeah, I really cannot believe a year has already passed and Mm. we have grown a lot since then. And I think like this topic is kind of symbolic of that growth as well, because I remember like I suggested at the beginning Um, that we do failure because that was a topic I had a lot to say about (laughs) and Mm -hmm. then it was like one of those things that were that was on my mind a lot but now it's like I think my perspective towards failure has done a complete I was about to say 360 I won't make that mistake 180 (laughs) (laughs) yeah and looking back I don't know it's so crazy to think about how much has changed since then Mm-hmm, yeah and I remember the first time we tried to record that episode it was I don't know. I remember feeling almost like I wasn't enough because I hadn't (laughs) experienced like a really big life-changing kind of failure because, okay, because I really admire people who like made mistakes in the past, but through those mistakes, they've learned and they've grown wiser and they've become a better person. And I just felt so empty at the time because Amy was talking about all these life experiences that she had and she was giving so much insight on failure. And I was just sitting there like, oh my gosh, I have nothing to contribute to this conversation. Like, <laughs> I, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. And it was it was definitely one of those times where it was more of just me being in my head and being self-conscious. And like, definitely wasn't Amy's fault or anything. I was just feeling insecure, I think. But mm. it's so crazy because now coming at it a year later I feel like I've grown so much in the sense where now I feel like I can actually talk about this topic and I feel like I actually have some life experiences or like some thoughts that I'd like to share about failure wow (laughs) let's go yeah Uh and so the other day Amy texted me and she had this really good question she was like hey Grace do you think that we're more scared of being a failure or of other people seeing us as a failure. Mm-hmm. And I was like, <gasps> Yeah, and the thing that kind of sparked that question is because Grace and I have been talking about Enneagrams a lot, as always. <laughs> <laughs> and then I have had this this thought in the back of my mind for a while mm-hmm. now where, like, the, the type 1 Enneagram has been coming up. And whenever I wonder, like, why people try so hard for stuff, I now I have the justification, like, if you're a type 1 Enneagram, then you just want to be good. You know, you just Mm -hmm. want to do well. You don't really need any further reason than that. Then you just want to be good. And (laughs) 
in a way, that was like a little revelatory because I feel like I've always been searching for this other answer on like why you need to try so hard. Like why you need to try so hard in academics. Oh, family pressure. Oh, you want to have a good mm-hmm. career and everything. And then those are all true. But I think like honestly, most of the time, especially for kids and teenagers <laughs> who are mm-hmm. kids, um, most of the time, the thing that's driving you is you just want to be good. Yeah. So that's when I came up with the question, like, oh, are you more scared of actually being a failure or are you more mm-hmm. scared of people seeing you as a failure? So the seeing you as a failure thing would be the, um, I don't know, Enneagram type where you're more worried about appearances and how people view you. And um, and the second part, the people seeing you as a failure one. So that would be for whatever Enneagram type or just like personality type that cares more about like appearances and how people view you. Um, and then it's subtle, but I think there is a distinction between you not wanting to be, not you not wanting to appear bad versus you just not wanting to be bad. So yeah, Grace, what do you think you are? Are you scared of being a failure or are you uh, scared of people seeing you as a failure? See, okay, that's such an interesting question to me because I feel like as someone who gets a lot of external validation and who finds a lot of their identity in what other people tell me I am, my instinct was just to say, I feel like I'm more scared of people seeing me as a failure or like seeing me as not enough in mm-hmm. some way. Because, well, mm-hmm. this is kind of like, like you said, I feel like the are you more scared of being a failure might be more rooted in the type one. And when you put it that way, because like you were saying how type one, the perfectionists just want to be good for the sake of being good. It doesn't have to do with like external validation or Mm -hmm. anything. And I relate to the just wanting to be good for the sake of being good. But I feel like I don't relate to the scared of actually being a failure as much. So I want to be good just for the sake of being good. But I feel like in a way I have enough internal validation or internal self-worth where I am not really Mm -hmm. scared of being a failure, but then at the same time, I'm like (laughs) very afraid of other people seeing me as not enough or other people disliking things about me. And since most of the validation Mm -hmm. I get is external, that's like what's on my mind mostly. And then when I think of me being a failure, I automatically think of how other people would react or like if other people think that I am a failure. So in the hypothetical that I am a failure, but everyone else thinks that like I'm a great person and I'm fun to be around and everyone else likes me, I feel like I wouldn't be that hung up over it, if that makes sense. Mm, yeah, that, I agree with that, actually. What would be a good hypothetical Ooh. for the other side? Like you're, people you're don't, not a wait, failure, no, but people see, people see you as a failure, yeah. but you're not a failure. <laughs> no, I How actually relate to that a lot like (laughs) this sounds weird but um going back to the idea of internal self-worth versus external self-worth I feel like I have a very steady internal Mm -hmm. self-worth like if we just take the internal Mm self-worth and don't connect it to anything else um I think I have a very steady internal self-worth but my external self-worth fluctuates a lot and when I'm insecure then I feel like other people like dislike these parts of me or I feel like other people are judging me or I feel like I'm not good enough for other people. And since most of my validation comes from external validation, my net validation is external. So my net self-worth is defined externally. 
Does that make sense? So I have like a steady mm. internal self-worth, but I don't value my internal yeah, yeah, self-worth yeah. that much. Like that's not what makes up most of my self-worth. Most of my self-worth is external self-worth. And that fluctuates a lot depending on whether I think people like me or not. And because of that, there are these times when I'm feeling insecure and my internal self-worth is still good. Like it's chilling. But I... I feel like mm-hmm. like my mind is telling me that other people don't like me and like I'm not good enough for other people. And then because of that, my external self-worth, like I feel like people see me as a failure. Huh. <laughs> so would you say you have like two, two minds going on or something? So like one of them is the rational one or whatever, the one that like doesn't care that much about appearances and they're just like, yes, Grace, you're great. And then the other one is the one that kind of goes crazy and um, reacts reacts a little more dramatically to what other people say kind of but the internal self-worth is just like imagine that no one else in the world exists and it's just you do you feel worthy do you feel like a failure okay so say you're an outsider looking at your life what do you think your self-worth is okay no that that's a that's a good way of putting it because like yeah when you ask it that way my my life is like pretty decent right there's not much to complain mm-hmm. about. But, yeah, it's not like I'm a loser at school or anything mm-hmm. like that. Definitely um, not. And then I, I, yeah, I do live a pretty privileged life. So I'm pretty chilling in that part, too. And there hasn't been, like, that much. Like, I, I'm, I'm a decent person, I hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, they, they wouldn't Better judge me morally, decent. I think. <laughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm. I, I thought about it some more. And then the thing about your self-belief the if if I really put my mind to something I bet I could achieve it I think in a way that's you affirming that you're like biologically able that like you're physically able to do something it's not like just not saying that it's impossible for yourself so Mm -hmm. you have at least enough self-worth to believe that you could actually do something if you really wanted to yeah and I think that self-belief is kind of what I'm trying to get it with the internal self-worth too. It's kind of that belief in yourself or like the worth value that you hold to yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. for different people, so, okay, let's think of like self-worth as a whole. I think from where I'm like coming at right now, um, let's mm-hmm. just imagine that your self-worth as a whole is a mixture of your internal self-worth and your external self-worth. So what you think of yourself versus what other people think of you and I think people who are like oh like um very self-confident very self-assured people probably Mm -hmm. have like most of their self-worth is what they think of themselves Mm -hmm. rather than how other people perceive them so like less people pleasing but then for me even though I like my internal self-worth is pretty stable like it's pretty good most of my self-worth is actually external so it's what how other people perceive me Mm -hmm. and so it doesn't matter that my internal self-worth is stable because that makes up very little of my actual (laughs) (laughs) self-worth scaled up by which is why i think i'm like scared of people seeing me as a failure and i'm not really scared of being a failure Okay, wait, then for the other example that you gave, for people who are very self-assured in uh-huh. their internal, like, self-worth, they feel great, and then 
um, their external self-worth bar is a bit lower. Mm-hmm. So I, I think we can all um, identify like a person or a character who is just so confident. And then even though like other people are kind of just like, um, to them, they're just like, they're, they're confident in what they do anyways. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So back to the, the, are you more scared of being a failure or people seeing you as a failure for that type of person? What do you think they would answer? I think that they'd say they're more scared of being a being failure. A failure. Right. Cause then, yeah. failure would be determined by their own terms. Yeah. For someone who is like, super super self-confident is it possible for them to see themselves as a failure i mean i want to say yes because i feel like everyone kind of fluctuates in how they view themselves i feel like even the most confident people have Mm, probably failed before but yeah but wouldn't they view it differently like they would not see it as failure they would see it as a hiccup a a challenge that they have to get over yeah, yeah, exactly. Or just like something something that went wrong in their grand mm. plan. Do you think that they're scared of being a failure? I mean, I don't relate to this person, so <laughs> I can't answer very accurately. But I feel like they might just not think about it that much. Or they might be like really like worried about it deep, deep down. Mm-hmm. But they're already so used to living life in their own way like in their confident way so yeah it'd be hard to go back and I think it's definitely like I know it's definitely possible to not think about failure because that's how I lived the majority of my life Mm -hmm. like before I became more introspective I feel like most of my life was just like not even thinking that failure was really a big option it was like oh yeah you messed up so what get back up it's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. that might have been partially how I was raised because I'm really blessed to have parents who never like who never really thought that failure was a big deal, who never um told me that I couldn't fail or I had to be perfect all the time. That was more of an expectation that I set on myself later on. But my parents well, are always like they were always telling me um sometimes it's important to fail because that's how you learn obviously they were also like a little bit overprotective so they try to shield me from making mistakes that would hurt myself but Mm -hmm. um definitely they never saw me failing at something as a big deal and then so consequently I feel like I never thought of it as a big deal I never thought of it as like the end-all be-all it was more just like so this thing happened all right let's move on yeah yeah it's weird because like I I can still remember my own old mentality, but it seems very far away now. And when I think about it, it like seems really irrational. But of course, back then it was it was just the way things were. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because when I asked myself um, how I got into that mentality in the first place, like I can say somewhat confidently that I think it was just like. That, that one defining experience I had in elementary school that made me really insecure. Dramatic <laughs> in experience. Yeah, that made me really insecure in my own, like, intelligence that uh, kind of set off the whole failure thing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just, like, having a lot of people to compare myself to when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I had an older brother who was also, like, very academically smart. I had a best friend who was very academically smart. Mm-hmm. So I think I didn't – I never got that feeling of, like – being the best but also like most people don't get the feeling of being the best do they 
Or does everyone get the feeling of being the best? Um. I don't think... I think most people probably don't get that feeling a lot. I think that Mm -hmm. everyone has gifts. And I think that if you find your gift, um, then you can experience that feeling of, like, being the best at something. Mm. Can you, though? I... Well, I I don't know. What do you mean by having a gift? Okay, like a talent. Like, I'm thinking specifically, I'm thinking of some people I know who don't really like the logical side, the academic side of school as much. But, man, if you see their artwork or you see, Mm -hmm. like, their music or you see, like, their acting or these, like, specific talents or gifts that they have, they are amazing at it. But the thing is, like, I would agree in that part, but I think there are a lot of people who don't have gifts. It's, like, I remember a big like um thought I used to have was I was like I was like god damn I'm so painstakingly average oh no oh no no no, no, no. don't don't worry about it. this is past Amy don't worry about it I'm annoyed at but, past Amy for thinking that but at the same sorry. time for a hug. <laughs> yeah but I I think this is a really common uh common feeling too especially when you're in those like more turbulent uh, periods of your life mm-hmm. but I think a lot of people like feel really average and they feel really bad about it because like yeah I would argue that people do need to feel some sort of superiority or like mm-hmm. get some type of confidence from that like if you are really not good at anything like you don't stand out in anything I can imagine that it doesn't feel very good <laughs> Ooh. but do you think that maybe Maybe, what if they do have a gift and they just haven't found it yet? Maybe. But, I don't know. I I think we kind of diverge here, because I don't know if everyone has a gift. Or, like, when you say gift, you mean, like, a, a talent, right? A talent or a passion or just something that they can gain confidence from. Like, if you ask someone, what brings you joy? What gets you out of the bed in the morning? depending Mm -hmm. on their response like out of all the things you could do what brings you the most joy and I feel like from that response I mean it doesn't even have to be an academic talent gift it could be like you're an amazing listener you're like Mm. you know whenever people have or or like you're um super outgoing and you can strike a conversation with anybody yeah I agree with that I remember when I was going through the phase like I had this period of my life where I realized that, bro, I need to find, like, one area of life I can be confident in. <laughs> like, I, I clearly remember having that thought mm-hmm. and then going, going on the search <laughs> for, I don't know, the, the chosen-ass area of life. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know exactly what we landed on. I think it was, like, something along the lines of, like uh getting to know people and stuff like that yeah which I'm which but like again I don't really talk I don't really think about it that often mm-hmm. anymore <laughs> I remember like one of the reasons why I started the podcast mm-hmm. was because I wanted to do the thing where you push yourself out of your comfort zone and get more confident from that because mm-hmm. I it, this ties it all together because I also wanted to stand out a little bit more like I wanted to stop feeling so average so like mm-hmm. wallflowery um yeah and I think it's just like the feeling that you're doing something worthwhile and external validation moment like something other people will go wow at and I think like it's one of the reasons why having hobbies are so important too because 
I think one part of it might just be identity based. Mm-hmm. It's like if you don't have anything to set you apart from others, like it doesn't feel good because you feel very average. You feel like a blank slate or whatever. Oh, yeah. um, and then also just like on the confidence part, um, even if you're not super good at any of those activities you do, mm-hmm. it's like at least you have something that you have put some work in that like people, the average person maybe can't do, right? Yeah. And I think for a lot of people, it's even just like taking that first step because it doesn't mean you have to be super talented at it. So if I'm thinking of someone who, for example, dances really well, obviously there's like a certain amount of natural talent that goes into it. But I feel like almost anyone could have started dancing and like doing a lot of extracurricular dance or just like doing a lot of dance in general. And then people would have started associating that with their identity. And saying, oh, you're so good at dancing. And then that would have been something that made them stand out. But, like, I don't think that you have to have an inherent talent to start to do something. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like, even if you take Mm -hmm. a small step. So, for example, even if you just start to, I don't know, give me a random activity. Rock climbing. (laughs) Even (laughs) if you just start to rock climb. That'll set you apart. Like, you don't have to be super good at it, but people will start associating you associating you as the person who rock climbs because, like, most other people don't do that. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes yeah, I, I think it's, like, more of taking the first step than actually having to find your lifelong talent. <laughs> yeah. I like it when you put it that way. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I had a thought while you were saying the wallflowery thing. I'm Mm -hmm. wondering if what I was saying earlier about internal versus external self-worth is almost like academic versus social self-worth. Oh, I can see that. (laughs) It's more like your place in society, like your reputation. Yeah. Oh, like from comparing yourself to other people's point of view, Mm -hmm. it's just like if you were hypothetically better than everyone else around you, but everyone else just sucks and you're still bad it's like you'd still be a failure but at least you're better than everyone else (laughs) but then so 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 in that case like people wouldn't see you as a failure because the people around you are worse than you lol Mm -hmm. um but like if if you knew your place Mm -hmm. in the like whole wide world or something like that like would you still feel like a failure Mm. oh so i think Back to the, like, failure, on failing on your own terms. Like, I think it really just depends on what you define success as. Ooh. So, like, if, if you were someone who yes. cared a lot about climbing the ladder, yeah, then you'd feel like a failure. Yes. Same thing with, yes, like, yes, if yes. you're already really confident. Yeah. Yes. And, like, <laughs> it's kind of, like, what you define success as. If you're a perfectionist, if it's, like, doing the 100% versus mm. if you define success as, like, you compared to everyone else. Does that make sense? Like, if you're, I don't know, above everyone else, or if you're, like, top of your class or whatever, if that's what success is to you. Or if success is, like, just doing a certain amount. So maybe not, like, to the 100% perfectionism, but, like, just doing enough so that your future is secured. Yeah. Well, then, this kind of reverses the roles, doesn't it? (laughs) Because, like, I would definitely just, I would be very happy if I was better than everyone else. I don't know what that says about me. (laughs) (laughs) But I know, like, Grace is the type of person to always aim for 100%. Yeah. I wonder how much of that is my personality and how much of that is my vehement thought that I don't want to compare myself to other people. 
in that way because I know it'll drive me yeah. crazy and I know it'll like ruin my relationships and I don't even want to like start on that path mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like I go out of my way to not share my percentages with others and to not hear other people's percentages <laughs> yeah run away run away <laughs> I mean, okay, wait, this brings me to the question, because I haven't actually asked you. Amy, are oh. you more scared of being a failure, or are you more scared of people seeing you as a failure? See, I was thinking about it, and in my mind, I can't really envision them in reality being mutually exclusive. Ooh. It's like, if you're one, then you're the other as well. Um, so is your definition of failure how people see you? I think so. Because... <laughs> I would say, like, I'm not an extremely ambitious person, um, and then I, I think I, like, my, my definitions for success or whatever comes just from what other people tell me. Mm. That's so interesting. Yeah. So, it's funny how, like, I'm more of a type three, so, like, I'm supposed to look more at the achievement itself in a way, Mm -hmm. but then all of that, like, stems from people in the first place, from, like, the people around me, whereas you, you're, like, I don't know, you have that, like, 100 percentage in you, but also, like, you care a lot about other people. It um Earlier, you were bringing up, like, your internal and external self-worth, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, the, the, you might be scared. You might, like, you might relate to the first part, the first one, mm-hmm. that you're scared of being a failure mm-hmm. in, because you set your own terms for success. So, if you set your terms for success, like, really high, then you might struggle with that, but you do. Anyways, um, and, and then you have the external one that, like, fluctuates a lot. But then for me, like, they're more interconnected. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah. It's like I oh. I kind of think that my achievements will dictate how much people like me. Oh, oh, my gosh. That was yeah. a perfect way of putting it. That's such an Enneagram yeah. 3 thing also. <laughs> oh, yes, a little bit. <laughs> oh, my gosh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. It's all coming together. Yeah. Oh my gosh, because for mm. me, it's like two separate things. Yeah. Oh. For me, it's not. Because when, when you were giving that explanation earlier, I was also thinking like, huh, do I think that way? And answer was a no, I think. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because I, I do struggle with both of those. Like I struggle with the academic um, internal validation part. And I also struggle like from time to time. with. I also have the thoughts of like, oh, what if everyone hates me? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like they feel less separate I guess oh that's so interesting not funny story this is a bit of a um left turn but Mm -hmm. so okay I rediscovered the Enneagram songs we can link them in the description if you want to listen to them but I rediscovered them and I originally heard from them from um the unsolicited advice podcast about like Mm -hmm. a year and a half ago or like I don't know long time ago But I remember at that time, I was reading the lyrics for Type 9, and I remember, um, I remember relating to the first bit, but then not relating to the ending, and recently, I rediscovered it, and, like, just last week, and I read the ending, and I was like, oh my gosh, like, I resonate with this so much more, and the part that I didn't resonate with before, and I resonate with so much more, um, is the part that goes, this is for Enneagram Type 9, a little at a time, I feel more alive. I let the scale tip and feel all of it. It's uncomfortable, but right. And the reason why I bring this up in connection to failure is because I feel like before, 
I couldn't really, I didn't really have as much insight on failure because I didn't really let myself feel all these emotions. I feel like I couldn't feel all of these emotions. Like I couldn't, I feel like I wasn't truly living in the sense where mm-hmm. I feel like I was just kind of in a robot, go straight forward, try to be a good person mode, <laughs> if that makes sense. I feel like I wasn't actually mm-hmm. feeling like my failures, my successes. And I, I didn't feel like I didn't let myself feel negative emotions. I think partially that was mm. because I couldn't feel them as strongly, but then also partially was because I like I, I literally didn't let myself feel them because I always just wanted to be like to keep the peace and to be happy. And so mm. I would think of negative emotions as negative emotions. And so I would like never try to talk about anything sad or talk about anything um, that upset me and then at the same time I also would never try to think about sad things or like I would try not to think about things that upset me or I would try not to think about failure it's mm, interesting I I would say like I I don't know for someone who's a type one um I feel like that's really different in a way because I feel like for someone who would want to be perfect Mm -hmm. I would kind of expect them to stress more over their failures Mm. but you're type nine first before a one yeah Hmm. yeah so it's like in order to keep the peace you don't think about your failures so it's like you value the peace more than actually being perfect yeah but then then again like your idea of being perfect is determined by the people around you like the the version of yourself that you put out there right Mm -hmm. so if you never share your failures with them in the first place how would they know (laughs) (laughs) that's the thing they don't know (laughs) and then wouldn't that affect your internal perception of yourself anyways though because you know I feel like it was more like not only did I not try to talk about my failures I also tried not to think about my failures oh so it just like shoves it away yeah just like shoves it away and I think what you were saying was like exactly what I was going through in grade eight where I didn't tell other people about my failures so then they had like this false perception of me as a person and then because of that I felt pressure to live up to those expectations and then um also because of that I felt so much more distanced from everyone else. It was It's mm. the idea that we were talking about in a previous episode where we were saying that the, the people who are perceived to be very successful have trouble maintaining personal relationships mm-hmm. because then they, yeah. they don't feel like as approachable, I guess. Yeah, they're like a little more disconnected from reality like yeah. a book character might be. Exactly, yeah. and I kind of felt like a character in a way. And... The character that I was portraying wasn't actually me. It was just a part of me. Yeah. It was just like the highlight reel of me. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been, this is, this is a bit of a left turn, uh-huh. but I've been having these thoughts recently about like, once I start working and become a professional or whatever, mm-hmm. or even at school, like um, how much of myself should I be putting out there? Because 
um we say that like one of our differences is I'm a pretty open book mm-hmm. and then like I'm I don't know more likely to share my failures than you are or at least mm-hmm. like past versions you know it's so cool that we have like past versions of ourselves yeah we're <laughs> just like past Amy it was like the failure thinking Amy and like past Grace was like the perfect type 90 Grace <laughs> mm-hmm. and now we're just like no <laughs> yeah oh yeah when I go into the professional world mm-hmm. like would I be expected to hold to have like another version of myself like have a more filtered version of myself I think because you're working right now I think that you will probably like have more of a filter on I think but I think you'll still be yourself and I feel like even that filtered version of yourself is still you because I've been thinking about this recently and I'm like I mean yeah I am more filtered than Amy but also that's my personality like it's not like it's like, that's me. It's not like I'm purposefully trying to only share the highlight reel or only trying to... It's not like I'm purposely um, filtering myself because I don't want people to know the real me. Like, that's just me. Like, I'm just naturally more filtered, yeah, if that yeah, makes yeah. sense. I, would, <laughs> I totally agree with that. The thing I was going to say was, like, with work... Mm-hmm. Um, I'm the type of person that, like, if I fail at something now, I kind of laugh at it. And then I, like, sometimes I draw attention to it, which I guess is a little counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. But, for example, like, at work, if I mess up a drink or something like that, then uh, my first instinct, in a way, because it's bothering me, right? Yeah. And when something's bothering me, I want to share it with someone. Mm-hmm. So, I'll, like, I'd want to go to my coworker and go, like, oh, my God, I cannot believe I accidentally gave the lady a wrong size. She got a big one for free. Um, but then, like, it's not good to share that. Yeah. <laughs> if, they, if they don't see it, then just let them not see it. <laughs> no point in how. And then I, I, I think I did that once, and then I realized afterwards, and I was just like, I shouldn't have said that, should I? I should have said that. <laughs> Oops. Um, Hagrid moment. I shouldn't have said that. I should not have said that. <laughs> but then, like, I can't help but think that's probably a good idea uh a good a good strategy for me to carry on in my future professional endeavors as well because mm-hmm. if no one sees your failures why would you bring attention to them <laughs> that's stupid and same thing for like the university application thing right where mm-hmm. my first instinct especially since your personal essays was to talk about all my failures and everything and how much mm-hmm. i've grown from them and that's not necessarily a bad thing but when you're talking too much about your failures then people are just like um okay i thought you're supposed to brag about yourself right now <laughs> Okay, when yeah. you said that um, whenever you fail, you like to draw attention to it, I thought that you were going to say something along the lines of, I can't find the right word because it's not coping mechanism. Oh, no. But like, No, no, no. It is, it is like a coping mechanism, <laughs> I think. Okay, no. It's a coping mechanism because the thing is my fear of failure stems from like how people are going to view it in the first place, right? And like pointing it out and saying that I'm like comfortable with failure, then that like somewhat lessens the blow of people judging me in a way, mm. you know? It's like... It's like if when you mess up, um, when you're really awkward or something like that, and then like you fall down and you start laughing at yourself. Yeah, that's yeah. That's totally a coping mechanism. Like that's so embarrassing. But if you laugh at it, then other people are just like, "Wow, like she's laughing at it. It's mm-hmm. no big deal." Like you, you're not gonna judge the person for falling down. Mm-hmm. But whereas like if they fell down, just stayed quiet about it and like walked off with like an embarrassed face, then you'd go like, "Haha, what a loser! <laughs> can't can't trip over their own feet." <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, I think I think it is similar in that way. And then I think it also, like, I try to human humanize myself, too, by by not putting up that front mm-hmm. that I'm, like, a, a perfect person or whatever, because mm-hmm. I think I, I have built up that understanding that everyone fails, right? And then, like, 
when I fail, when I mess up a drink, like I, I know that my coworker is going to be able to relate to that. Like everyone messes up on drinks. Oh, um, yeah. So it's like, it's, I, I think I'm trying to like disable that, that, that like professionalish front that we put up in the first place. So like the professionalish front is what makes people feel embarrassed or whatever because mm-hmm. it's it's kind of like society always does this thing where you're always silently judging people and then reevaluating your like opinions on them mm-hmm. um and everything. Yeah, but like me my thing about like always being more vulnerable and putting myself out there and letting people see my failures, then that's where I'm like trying to relate to the person on a more personal level and then say that like oh, I fail, you fail. It's okay for us to fail. Please don't judge me now. Thank you. Oh my gosh! Oh, Wait, okay. that's so that interesting. Was such a good revelation. Oh my gosh, yeah. this is so interesting. Grace, okay. you made such a breakthrough. I just want to say that um, I'm pretty sure everyone appreciates people like you who like normalize Thank failure. You. Because when I'm around someone who normalizes failure, I feel okay with like messing up or like drawing more attention to the fact that I messed up or like not feeling as bad about it. Because here's the thing, when you try and hide your failures, it's often harder to fix them. Yeah. Oh my god, guys, that was, that was like, such a big, big realization in a way. Yeah. It's like, it it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That makes so much sense. Yeah. Not to toot my own horn, but like, one of my friends uh, said that like, she feels really comfortable around me for, and she doesn't know why either. And then like, for a while, I've kind of been thinking about that, because, because that's true. And then like, Again, not to toot my own horn, but, like, one of the compliments I do get a lot is that, like, I'm a warm person and I make people feel comfortable around me. And then I I kind of just accepted that as me being me. But that actually makes so much sense now. Yeah, that's why... Like, that's where it comes from in the first That's place. why I always say that you make people feel comfortable around you. Oh, see, this is turning your weaknesses and your, like, struggles into strengths. Yeah. That's, that's so weird, because, like, that's one of... The, my biggest like struggles in my life or whatever but now it's like one of my biggest personality traits and like compliments that I get yeah oh my gosh and it's also so interesting that you were talking about um you know like your attitude at work trying to humanize yourself versus mm-hmm. me who was more of like the perfectionist mindset where it was like okay I'm like serving these people I want to make sure that they get the best experience that they can possibly get I need to be perfect so that Mm -hmm. they can have a perfect experience here yeah and then the thing is like your your way of doing things is very very valuable as well and also something I look up to it's it's like the it's like the email that your teacher wrote you or whatever um that you told me and then we were all like whoa because like, that does stem directly from your ability to um, not point out your failures. How do we describe this? Oh, I like to call it fake it till you make it. <laughs> fake it till you make it, yeah. I was going to phrase it more as, like, um, letting yourself be that ideal version of yourself in your head. Like, because we said you're an idealist, right? Mm-hmm. So you do have, like... Uh, a more ideal version of people and then you since you actually believe in it you're able to be it more in a way anyways mm-hmm. fake it till you make it also fake works it you make it. <laughs> my life yeah. motto but then you are someone who is respected a lot and then a lot of people look up to you and then you do do the thing where you're able to um lead by example because you always just hold yourself to such a high standard and for someone who like me not to 
what's the opposite of toot my own horn? Not to not toot my own horn. <laughs> not to squash my own. Not to squash. My not own to horn. squash my own trumpet. <laughs> but but um for someone who always like points out their failures and stuff like that and kind of makes people more comfortable to fail around her in a in in some type of way and like not being as perfect that's kind of the opposite but then like both of them are very important Mm. and do very important things yeah it's a delicate balance yeah it is a delicate Aww. balance. Oh my gosh. Well, See, we it's a symbiotic relationship. Oh my god, this would be wonderful. Okay, so you would like, you would be a boss and I would be a boss and then, and then, and then we would get, no, no, we would do great. Trust me. No, no. Okay. I think you would be the boss because you, no, because you would be we the need boss. the boss. No, we need the boss to not be super intimidating. We need the boss to be okay no. with failure. No, no, the, but the boss should be somewhat intimidating. Like the boss does have the role of like putting themselves as the like more ideal version by leading by example because everyone looks up to the boss. I should be like a standard employee actually. Sorry, I'm, I I downgrade myself. I'm no longer a boss. <laughs> I will just be like a, you know, I can be a supervisor or something. That, that's it. That's as far as we will go. I don't want to um, be the boss. Be a supervisor. The boss is scary. No, <laughs> no, you are the boss. It's okay. We can hang out, and then you can you can let down the the intimidation portion of yourself, whatever. <laughs> Anyways, this is great. This is what our future company will look like. I did not agree to this. Grace, you're applying to business next year. <laughs> you don't need science anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! No, because like. I'm, I'm, yeah, not to, what is it, squash my own trumpet, but I don't think I'm exactly someone people look up to in the more traditional way, right? It's like someone can look up to me um, in the, like, I guess the more social aspects or something, but I don't think the average person would look up to me in the traditional, like, wow, she does so much with her life or whatever type of way. I just want to say... It doesn't have to be like one or the other. It doesn't have to be an extreme because volunteering at Evergreen, the volunteer coordinator at Evergreen is like the kindest person ever. But then she also totally humanizes mistakes and she like makes us feel okay with like making mistakes and makes it feel, you know, it's, it's all, it's all okay. But then she's also the kindest person and she's like really humble um, in the way where she doesn't try to come off as a perfect person, but she's also, like, obviously she cares a lot about this, and she's really good at it, too, and I, I think that she's, like, amazing at what she does, and I see a lot of Amy in her, too, so you guys share a lot of traits, so I just want to say that I don't think you should think of yourself as the one extreme of, like, just because I broadcast my failures means that I can't be a good role model. Because I look up to the volunteer coordinator so much. Like, she is the kindest person ever. And, like, I don't think that her humanizing mistakes makes her any less of a good coordinator or, like, a good quote-unquote boss. So... I just want to say that I will only accept this business endeavor, or no, I will only <laughs> consider this business endeavor if you are either the boss or a co-boss. <laughs> okay. You know what? I I accept your offer. I will be. We will be bosses together now. <laughs> Wait, you're actually going into business. Dang I am me. actually going into business. So uh, whatever we do, I will make sure to hire you as my co-boss. <laughs> Yeah, actually, it'll be perfect. We'll ha- we'll be rated like best company environment. Oh my gosh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I was gonna say earlier when we were tooting our horns and squashing our trumpets that like in the same way where I'm not uh, always 
always going to be like not respected or anything like that. Um, you're also never going to shame someone for making a mistake. Like I can, I'll, I can never see that happening either. Cause like, even <laughs> I, though you, I, I try my you hold yourself to a high standard. Yeah. Even though you hold yourself to a high standard, like I don't think you're ever going to really impose that on everyone else. Again, it's like leading by example, right? Not just like leading by terror. Like I'm good. You must be good as well. It's more just like I do the best I can. And then hopefully people get inspired by that or something like that. Aww. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. That is what I strive to be. <laughs> yeah, that is you. <laughs> oh, <laughs> thank you. But like going off of the line of thinking where, you know how when people have very high expectations of you or like you're like scared of failing because people hold you in high regard um, you always mm-hmm. feel like you have to prove yourself or like when you fail once you feel like you have to get back on track or like prove mm-hmm. yourself or like get back to where you were before mm-hmm. I had a thought earlier and Amy and I were talking about this and I was like that's at least for me that's when it when I get into a really unhealthy pattern of thinking because mm-hmm. basically when you feel like you have to prove yourself or you constantly feel like you have to get back on track it's almost like you're negative and you're trying to get to zero like your self-worth is negative and you're trying to get to zero as opposed to (laughs) trying to actually learn and grow where you're like starting at you already have some self-worth you're just trying to improve and learn and grow even more and amy put it in a really good way she was like yeah because like (laughs) when you um when you constantly feel like you have to prove yourself it's like you're feeling like you're not enough it's like you're feeling like you're in debt like yeah (laughs) your self-worth is in debt (laughs) Exactly. And um, I remember like in another episode, I have no idea what it is, but I talk about like me having this revelation about not feeling enough, which is a very common um, phrase I hear a lot. And like part of that um, manifests in this feeling where you need to, where you feel like you need to justify your existence to the world. It's like, why do I deserve to be alive in a way? And then that's like exactly kind of like what Grace was saying about like needing to prove yourself um, to prove that you're not a failure, to prove that you can do good things. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like when when you're in that point, I think it's like when your self-worth has plummeted mm-hmm. um, very quickly and very low, then you have this feeling where you need to just like climb back up there, like you're desperately trying to get back to yeah. a place where you can accept yourself again. Yeah, and to yeah. illustrate this with like a specific example, in case <laughs> we're being a bit vague, um... I think for me, this happens a lot when it it happens. Basically, this tends to happen when I focus on percentages and Mm -hmm. when I feel like, oh, no, like I did really badly on this test. Next test, I have to prove myself or like I have to get back to where I was. And then that's when I enter like a really unhealthy pattern of thinking because then it's like constant cycle of, oh, I'm still not like good enough or like, oh, I need to prove myself more. And even if I do get a percentage that I'm happy with, it's hard to always keep that up. So then I'm going to have a time when I'm like not doing as well again. And then I'm just like, oh my gosh, I have to get back there. And it's it's just so unhealthy for me personally. And when you lived your whole life being a good student, a good classmate, a good person, when you lose that, you begin to doubt your entire identity. You begin to wonder if you have peaked early and never appreciated what you had when you had it. And when classmates and teachers call you perfect, no matter how impossible it is, a small piece of you believes it. 
And that small piece of you expects you to be good at everything you do and links your self-worth to your ability to do something well. So when you can't do something that should have been easy, you begin to question your entire identity. And the whole world around you that you've built suddenly comes crashing down and you're just like, oh my gosh, my whole identity. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, makes, that makes a lot of sense. That reminds me, Grace and I were talking about kind of perfectionism and failure yesterday and she was bringing up the story that her dad told her yes. about this girl that he knew who was always at the top of her class like she was super smart she was like straight a student all of that jazz um but then when she got into middle school or high school then like she wasn't at the top of her class anymore and then it's like she lost that part of herself right mm-hmm. and and yeah things went very badly for her after that mm-hmm. so yeah, it's an interesting theory, I guess, about whether all the all the like pain or like the discomfort you feel just comes from like suddenly having a change in how in your self perception, I guess, and your identity. Identity is like it relates to back what we were saying earlier, right? About your mm-hmm. self perception, but also how people view you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and then it's like when that changes in a negative way, that's when you start going cuckoos. Yeah. And honestly, like, it breaks my heart when classmates of mine um, talk to themselves in the way where they say stuff like, oh, I just have to get back on track or like, I just have to like, get Get back to my usual percentage. (laughs) Yeah, like get back to my usual percentage or like get back to a good percentage. Or like, yeah, okay. And the feeling when you can't get back to that percentage or whatever is like the worst feeling of despair you can ever feel. Okay, Mm -hmm. that's like, very dramatic coming from a very privileged person who just cares a lot about school (laughs) but yeah it's it's not a great feeling yeah that was math hl for me i remember like the first time i got my test back i i heard all these stories about people who got their test backs at first and then they're at a like much lower score and then they tried really hard and then they raised it to a much higher grade and i was like okay that's gonna be me Mm -hmm. and then you try really hard for the next test still don't do very well and you try again and you rally all of your hope (laughs) and all your willpower and try again and you still can't reach it Mm -hmm. it's like I don't know it really sucks (laughs) yeah because like I feel like failure always happens when you feel like you tried your best and you invested so much into it like you put in your all and then you still didn't get the results you wanted and you feel like you could have done better but you didn't like you tried your mm-hmm. best, but maybe you didn't do your worst, but you definitely didn't do your best. That's like the full shebang of failure, like the entire experience you can get. <laughs> yeah. And then you like you feel so disappointed in yourself. And then it's so much regret where you're, I don't know, maybe this is just me ruminating on things, but you're like lying on oh. your bed awake at night and you're going back oh. to like thinking about how you could have done things differently and you're just like ah okay no um that makes a lot of sense because I also remember having this thought when I was in that period of my life where I was really confused on what trying harder could mean because in my mind like you can always try harder it's like I was already studying a good amount but of course I could have studied more I could have like um asked more questions and everything like there are an infinite number of ways to improve I think so like there's no really there's really no cap to like trying your best mm-hmm. I think so that's why I was kind of at a standstill I was like I'm already trying really hard am I supposed to like try even harder mm. like but also when does that when do I like stop when do I know I tried my best oh th- 
that that's where it came from because like I would do like not that great and people would just tell me oh as long as you did your best and then that's fine and I'd question like did I do my best like I really don't know whether I did my best because I know I tried hard but Mm -hmm. it wasn't my best because my best would have been something uh much more drastic than that Mm. yeah and I remember like a while after too my brother asked me once Mm -hmm. and he was like do you think have you ever like really tried your best for anything like he wasn't doing this he wasn't saying this in a mean way or anything like that but just in a curious way Mm -hmm. like have you ever put your entire like heart and soul into achieving or into trying in this one thing Mm -hmm. and I was like no I don't think so and I think the answer to that is still no I don't think that's a healthy way to live quite frankly (laughs) so I don't know and then it's like he kind of said that with a tone where it's like oh you're coming you're you're gonna experience that soon young grasshopper but (laughs) but that kind of goes against like my own mentality towards life I feel like Mm -hmm. because like we're all about the balanced life about like not putting too much weight into like any specific area yeah so like yeah whether it comes down to like academics or personal relationships like I don't think I'm ever going to fully devote my 100% to anything yeah because putting 100% in something means that you can't put like you have nothing left yeah you're putting zero percent yeah yeah so not me (laughs) you know what the the thought that popped into my head for what I would actually try 100% for or maybe not me specifically but I feel like like a romantic interest would be pretty nice (laughs) (laughs) i'm thinking of like if you really 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 wanted someone then you could try really hard but also how do you try hard because if you try too hard then that's creepy and it will not work out you know what i'm saying yeah i mean i feel like this is a common enneagram type two um the caretaker Mm -hmm. thing where like they put their 100 percent into relationships or like friendships yeah. or like any kind of relationship. And then and then oftentimes they get hurt because of it. Because like, okay, the other podcast that I listen to, one of the hosts is a type 9 and the other is a type 2. And um, that's what the type 2 person was saying. She was talking about how like she was learning how not to put her 100% into every relationship because she always ends up getting hurt and then it's also not healthy for the other person because it's like overwhelming you know when someone mm-hmm. it is really is 100% yeah because <laughs> then yeah that puts a lot of pressure on me <laughs> yeah and then you might feel like oh I'm, I'm not doing enough and I think it depends on the type of relationship because I think with certain relationships it's easier if both people just like invest some but not too much like there's a different balance like there's a different happy medium for each relationship with like how much you should invest in it Mm-hmm. I agree do you think an important thing in relationships is for people to always give like equal amounts of effort because like yeah there are some people who put a lot of effort in and then some people who prefer not to and then that's like perfectly fine on its own right as well yes But then, like, that leads to complications, right? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I think that in, obviously, every relationship is unique and special um, and is different. But I think overall, in general, I think that the people in a relationship need to have similar lifestyles, whether that means similar, like, life schedules, as in how busy they are, or if Mm. that means similar how much like they're willing to put into relationships because the thing is when one person invests a lot more than the other person in a lot of situations they can feel bitter or the other person can feel like they're not enough and same with like 
uh, different schedules, it always feels like the less busy person is always waiting for the busy person. Mm-hmm. And then the busy person can, like, never give enough. And yeah. so because of that, I feel like in most healthy relationships, there has to be a balance or at least a very deep understanding. Yeah, I'd agree. I think people are different all the time, right? So mm-hmm. you can't expect two people with the exact same, like, relationship habits yeah, to definitely. have a relationship. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. but I think then again, it just, like, comes down to expectations again, right? Like, if you understand the other person and know that it's not that they care any less about you or anything like that, but they're just, they're they're not the type of person to devote that much of themselves into a relationship, then, like, as long as you understand that and you can communicate your feelings well, then I think you can still have a good relationship. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. And with neither the intention of tooting our own horns or squashing our own trumpets, <laughs> um, <laughs> we'd just like to wish everyone a happy podcast anniversary because yeah. it feels it feels like we have a nice community and I feel like mm-hmm. it's something that you get to celebrate as much as we do because it's like we would be nowhere without you guys. Like we wouldn't be here without our wonderful listeners. So we just want to say that we appreciate you so much. And as always, you already know if you related to this episode or any part of this episode or just have any thoughts that you'd like to share, please don't hesitate to reach out and send us a DM via Instagram. We are at to be honest pod. Yep. And again, if you've been here for a year, even if you've been here like, I don't know, a week ago or something like that, we appreciate your support so, 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 so much. Um, I really cannot believe that it's been a year. I know. It's and crazy. I cannot believe that there have been people who have been sticking around for a year. If you're one of those people, really, thank you. We love you a lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for tuning in every week, and we'll, we'll see, see you next, next week. week.